So we're continuing on in our summer worship series, and today we're going to talk about worship as a weapon of warfare. Worship as a weapon of warfare. And we're going to start off with 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, though we walk in the flesh, we fight different. It doesn't say it quite like that, but let's everybody say, I'm going to fight different. So how many of you know the definition of insanity? Right? So, so what you need to see from this verse is that all of us are in the natural, all of us are in the flesh and in this body, but not all of us are fighting right. You have to fight different. And when you fight different, you get a different kind of results. Let me give you an example. Jesus said, the peace that he gives is not a peace that you can get in anywhere, shape, or form from the world. He said, the peace I give is not the peace that the world gives. And it passes all understanding. So when I grab a hold of the Prince of Peace in worship, what's the result? Supernatural peace that the world can never give me. Now, people do a lot of things to fight the battle. There's a lot of results that we see in our life from an unhealthy battle, depression, anxiety, suicide, addiction. All those are results of a deeper-rooted battle. The battle always starts in the spirit and then manifests in the flesh. I'm telling you that the battle is always spiritual first. It's always spiritual first. It starts in the spiritual atmosphere, in the heavenlies. Because remember, we don't warfare against flesh and blood. You're not my enemy. You can act like an enemy, and sometimes I can treat you like an enemy. But the greater enemy is the master puppeteer that's playing the heartstrings of men. And so this battle is the spiritual battle. Hence, we fight different. Let's say it again, I fight different. You gotta change the way that you're fighting. Because for many of us, it's not working. Here's how I can tell. You can be a Christian, but still you're walking in fear, worry, doubt, anxiety. And I get it. I have battled those things. And those things still knock on my door every day. Though I'm in the flesh, I learn to fight different. I don't war according to the flesh. You guys understand that. And today and in this series, it's really about fighting differently. It's really about teaching us what proper worship looks like. Many people don't know what proper worship looks like. They've never been taught what proper worship looks like. Verse four. Four, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. Let's all say in God. God. These weapons only come from one place, not my safe, though I have a lot of weapons in my safe. I'm definitely not anti-gun. But you put a gun in the hand of a crazy man that doesn't have an altar in their heart or their heart's not a safe place, you wind up in jail or doing something that you shouldn't do because you'll act out of the flesh. So there are fleshly weapons and they're spiritual weapons. The word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, is a different kind of weapon. So when you fight with the word, when you fight with worship, when you fight with fasting and prayer, when you fight on your knees, because real men do fight on their knees. The question is, when's the last time you got on your knees? And I'm going to show you why getting on your knees. This is a simple act of worship right now. Just me kneeling and bowing is an act of worship. Real men do cry. 
But so many men are bottled up in their emotions. But if you'll get with the Lord in worship and intimacy, he'll bring healing to your emotions. Last week, we talked about when you're intimate with the Lord, you'll know how to properly be intimate with your spouse. Intimacy issues with God brings poor issues and intimacy issues with your spouse. But when you're intimate with the Lord, he heals your emotions. He heals your heart. He transforms you, and the result is different. I'm not anti-medication. I'm not anti-ADD and antidepressants and, you know, all the medications that sometimes people have to take because of the struggles that are going on in their body or in their brain. But what I am going to tell you is there's a different kind of weapon, and I want to believe with you that you'll be healed so that you won't have to keep taking the medication. I think we should all believe and agree that God can heal you, and we should strive towards that healing, right? And so the world fights with weapons that are fleshly. Think about it. If you're not born again, how did you used to fight the struggles of this world? For many of us, it was drugs, alcohol, sex. For many of us, it was pills. For many of us, it was numbing out. And it, and it could even be things that seem to be healthy, like being a meathead or a gym rat. I don't know, whatever you call them anymore. <laughs> Working out in and of itself is not wrong, but the Bible says that bodily exercise profits little. It still profits, but what's more important, the physical or the spiritual? That's right. So the weapons of our warfare are different. They fight different. They pull down strongholds. Now, what kind of strongholds get pulled down when you worship? Well, this scripture shows us. Uh, let's go to the next verse, verse five. It pulls down things that are arguing in your head. What are you arguing with right now? Remember, the devil always puts a question mark where God puts a period. If God said it, are we going to believe it, even if it's not in our time or in our way? So the enemy's always bringing accusation and arguments in your brain or using circumstances to tell you that God's not good or he's not for you or lies to your life. Met with a good friend here the other day and the overwhelming fear of loss for a child or that something in his life would transfer to the child and he's a born-again son. That's the deceptive demonic lie because he's covered under the blood. The curse is broken. But now he's afraid that maybe some of his shortcomings or failures or actions would transfer. It's a lie. The curse is broken. That's an argument. And my question to you all today is, what are you arguing with? <laughs> Look, what, it casts down arguments. Now, let me tell you what arguments do. There are high things that exalt themselves against knowing the truth and knowing who God really is. Notice it's a high thing. In the Old Testament, you see this thing about high places. And basically, the reason why demonic worship was on a high place because the mindset was that you would be closer to the heavens, which you were closer to the second heaven. And then there would be portals, and you'd have all of these Asherah poles and Baal worship and all of these altars that were built on the high places. These high places still exist today, but they may not be on some mountaintop somewhere, though I'm sure they are. These are mountaintops in society, mountaintops in our culture, mountaintops through the spirit of this age, and many mountaintops that we allow and have built in our own home. Let me tell you, I'm not anti-TV. I'm not anti-TV. We have some subscriptions that we are very careful what we let our kids watch, but we have some that I've had to delete. 
Why? Because some of those subscriptions to some of those entertainment networks that are out there, if I didn't remove it, they would become an altar in my home that would bring some sort of demonic agenda into my house. But because I had an altar in my heart, I could remove false altars in my home. Remember, every altar demands worship. Every altar and every idol demands worship. Every idol demands worship. And so there are things in my life that I had to remove because I fight different. And it may not be normal to some. And I'm not even going to tell you what they are. You have to hear it from God. I would be amiss to tell you, you need to get rid of this and you need to do this and God cop, God cop, God What you need to do is hear from the voice of the Holy Spirit and get an altar of worship in your heart, which will overflow into your home and your marriage and everything else. You guys understand that? Are y'all good? I got y'all thinking, well, we haven't even begun. So there are many different types of weapons. Weapons are used for one thing, to fight. And weapons are used for war. The weapons of our warfare. You are in a fight. There's a fight for your marriage. There's a fight for your children. There's a fight for your heart. There's a fight for your future. You are in a fight right now. And we have a saying here at Rock City Church. If you're not fighting, you've already been captured. Let's say that together. If I'm not fighting, I've already been captured. And see, all of us have to fight the good fight of faith uniquely. There's some things I can do to help you. I can carry your burdens. I can pray for you. I can counsel you. But at the end of the day, I can't carry what Oscar's carrying. I can't carry what Anthony and Ed and Yvette and Keith and Erica and Jeff and Caitlin and Mariah, well, I can't carry what y'all are carrying in a sense. I mean, I can help you bear the burden, but we all have to learn to fight differently every day of our life. And that's the thing about worship. Worship fights different and worship sets up an altar in your heart 24-7 all the time. Because you can't worship God and worship anything else at the same time. Think about it. I can't be fully worshiping God and worship. I can have other things in my life that need to get dealt with. But if I'm truly worshiping God, nothing else can come in and take the place of that worship in that moment. So these weapons have a purpose. And the, the weapon of worship has an incredible purpose of tearing down high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, and also taking things that are demonic in your life captive. So they take things captive. Are you depressed today? Worship can take it captive. Are you afraid for your future? Worship can take it captive. Are you afraid for your marriage, your finances? Worship will take it captive. Because it's a weapon of warfare. Do you all see that? All right. We're in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. The generations are in a spiritual battle. And the challenge is, is that if we don't really understand that when I war in the spirit first, I'll always war in the natural first. You've got to understand it starts there. Let me show you what worship is in the Hebrew. Let's pull up this first slide. This word, this word in the Hebrew is pronounced shacha, shacha. Now you gotta say it like a good Jew, shacha, with a 
But if you don't want to say it like a good Jew, you can say it like a good American gringo. Shaka. Let's everybody say shaka. Shaka. I was just like, I'm not saying shaka in church. I say shaka all the time. Shaka. Little did I know it meant worship. So shaka means to worship, to bow down or to press down or to depress. It means to crouch, stoop, fall down, or prostrate yourself before God in reverence. It means to beseech, ask humbly and fervently for God to do something, to entreat, implore, and be contrite. Of all these words, I really love this word entreat because the root word of entreat is treaty. So when I come before the Lord, I'm reasoning and making a treaty with God about my situation. But it looks like something. Worship means to bow down, or it means to crouch, stoop, or fall down, or lay prostrate. Let me tell you guys that in worship here, you it is legal at Rock City Church to come lay down at the altar. I say that because it's illegal in many churches in America today. But when's the last time you kneeled? When's the last time you laid prostrate? Because you've got to understand what happens when you're doing that is you're being contrite. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite. It means that I'm sorry, Lord. I repent. Lord, please have mercy and please forgive me. When Joseph's brothers finally realized it was Joseph, they were contrite in their heart and they literally bowed their heads in honor to their brother. The dream had become true. The two dreams, the, she- the stalks or sheaves of grain that bowed down to him and the moon and the stars that bowed down to him was a picture of Shaha. Now let's look at this next slide. I'm gonna teach you another great word today. Everybody say obeisance. Obeisance. I don't know about y'all, I love learning new words. This is a great word. It means a movement of the body expressing deep respect or deferential courtesy. A great example of that would be a bow before royalty or a bow at the end of a a, a piano recital. They're saying thank you and honor and respect for your time and your attention. Another great example of this is opening the door, chivalry, which we need a lot more of with our men and young men today, right? It's an act of obeisance. Another great example would be a curtsy. Now, I'm not going to do a curtsy, but curtsies and bowing and opening the doors and giving pra- and kneeling and honoring before a king. Why? Because you're giving homage. Homage is special honor or respect shown publicly. It's to recognize and honor the surpassing preeminence of God above all others in value, worth, and royalty. What is preeminence? It means that God is above Anything and all principalities, all demonic forces, all the lies, all the arguments in your head, everything that you're facing and going through, he is preeminent. So now I'm worshiping a royal king. I'm worshiping a preeminent God, and I'm not going to be irreverent, disrespectful, or haphazard. Haphazard is not a fruit of the Spirit. So I'm teaching you what proper worship looks like. So if I say, let's everybody bow our head. Obeisance. The root word is obey. But some people who come to church, I'm not going to do what the pastor tells me to do. Look, I'm not out to get anything from you. We must teach our children proper honor and respect. So when we go to pray at the table, and I remember I did this as a kid, we say bow our head, and then we're farting around and kicking each other under the table. That's what I used to do. 
But I still have to stop and say to, say to the kids, like, listen, we bow our head out of honor and respect, first for the Lord and then for one another. So we're teaching each other. If I say, let's lift our hands, or if the Lord tells you, get up to the altar and lay out, get up here and lay out. You know why? Because I've had more experiences with God laid out at the altar in my life where God spoke to me. And I can't tell you how many times I would have somebody pray, my knees would get weak, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to fall. I'm just going to go ahead and lay down. And sometimes I fall out. But I've had more words of knowledge and visions from God on my back or stomach at the altar than almost anywhere else in my life. Why? Why would God want you out like that? Well, first, it's respect and honor. But second of all, you decrease so that he can increase. And then God begins to speak to you in a way that you never thought because he's finally got your full attention. You have to get to the spot where you're not worried about what it looks like. I used to be that way. I used to go to a church where every time I'd get slain out in the spirit, I guess it was only women that made the prayer cloths because as soon as I fell out, they put a pink prayer cloth on me. I'm like, why do you have to put a pink prayer cloth? At least give me a black one. The good news is we don't have any pink prayer cloths. But we, they, we cover people up because their shirts can pull up or you know, you're down on the ground and we want to make sure that you feel safe and covered and protected. But I want to say to you guys, do something you've never done before. What's the problem? Why do we say, I'm never going to kneel, I'm never going to bow, I'll never lay out prostrate? Well, I'll be the first one to do it by example. I get down on the ground and I lay out before the Lord and I just sit and listen and commune and tell him how much I love him as I bow in honor and respect. And man, the Lord loves that because it's obeisance. It's giving honor and respect to the king. And then he says, son, while you're down there, let me just remind you, you're a royal priesthood and you are kings and priests in a strange land. Woo! And God begins to strengthen you for who you are because you humbled yourself. Obeisance is humility. This is an understanding of, look, it's not about me. I'm in complete submission to the king. This is a proper picture of worship. He deserves all the value, the worth, and the royalty. I want to briefly explain to you the difference between praise and worship. Okay? Think about it this way. Praise is an expression. Worship is a position. Praise is an expression. Worship is a position. Okay? So there's seven different Hebrew words for praise, and they include things like hands, throwing hands. They do include kneeling. They include dancing. They include shouting. They include singing to the Lord, you're so good, with no instruments. And they include just banging away on the drums or guitars with instruments. And that's why sometimes you're like, what's the band doing? It's like they're a jam band, we're in a jam. No, if they're true worshipers, what we're doing is expressing our thankfulness to the Lord through our instrument. Now think about praise for a moment. I'm going to use my executive pastor and dear friend, Jeff. Now you can give praise to anyone at any time. You can also give praise in what you think is to God and actually not be worshiping. I can go through the motions and dance and oh, the drums, yeah. Woo. But am I truly worshiping in my heart? That's why Jesus said worship, true worshipers worship how? In spirit and in truth. Praise is the action of the position. I want you to see that, all right? It's the action of the position. So praise in the, in the 
in the regular definition is giving thanks and adoration and encouragement and celebration for what somebody's done. So I'm gonna praise Jeff right now. Jeff, you've been an amazing executive pastor. You have been a dear friend. You've loved well, you've served well. I love how you care for the people. I love how you lead. I love the dreams and the visions that you're bringing to the culture of Rock City Church. You've been an amazing right-hand guy. You've loved me so well and served so well. And I'm watching this whole church grow because of your headship and your leadership. Does that feel good? You want to keep bringing? Yeah. yeah. So we, give, we can give praise in a natural sense to one another. Do you understand this? Right? So praise is this outward expression of an inward position that first starts with worship. It's funny how we call it praise and worship, but it really should be worship and praise. Because the praise is this understanding that God will shift the situation because of who he is. Worship is that God shifts me because of who I am in him and who he is. So my posture of my heart is critical in the context of worship. Worship comes from a different place within us. Praise, on the other hand, is this complete, boisterous, uninhibited, never holding back because I know the goodness of God and I'm declaring that and celebrating that, which shifts the circumstances around me. Every time you saw praise, like Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, if you don't know the story, go, go read the story. Massive amounts of fear, didn't know what to do, but his eyes were on the Lord. And when he went into battle against the Midianites that were like the sand of the seashore and the locusts in a forest, what did he do? He put the musicians and the singers first because the worship and the praise out front transformed the battle and God set up an ambush. So what if you started to worship and praise like you never have before and it sets up an ambush against the high things exalting itself against the knowledge of God and even changes your situation in your life? How many of you need a situation change in your life? I'm like, seriously need some things to shift. But I've learned that if I want things to shift, I have to shift. I have to shift internally. So praise is an expression of admiration, approval, respect, and gratitude. And it looks, it looks like something. But worship is different. It's a complete inward submission and spirit and truth that presents itself through total surrender of the heart and attitude. The internal always precedes the external, which is why I have spirit and truth worship. I hear God intimately in worship. It's different than when I'm just dancing and shouting and celebrating and woo, and I'm just, I'm lifting my hands and making declarations. There's something about the intimate place of worship in my heart that I hear God. In fact, I spend more time in worship in the private and then I praise in the public. That's why God inhabits the praises of his people, but we worship God in the beauty of holiness. And I'll teach you about that more later. And so worship is an altar in your heart. Your heart becomes an altar of worship at all times. I'm not always sh shouting and dancing and lifting my hands at home. I do do that at times, but I'm never not in a posture or position of worship. So now whatever I do is an act of worship to the Lord because I'm worshiping God inside of my heart. 
Anything worshiped demands an altar. Let's just briefly talk about altars. You know, the, in Hinduism, if you Google it and, at, and type in how many gods are there in Hinduism, there's, they say there's 300 million gods in Hinduism. If you Google Shintoism, these are both um, uh, no, no, no. The, the, huh? Polytheistic, thank you. Polytheistic religions that worship multiple gods. Shintoism has 8 million gods. And I have been to Trinidad and Tobago. That's the closest I've been to India. And any house that I went to, I also have been to Cuba, where there was a lot of Santa Maria and a lot of Catholicism, that whenever I went into somebody's house, there was an altar. Have you ever seen that? Maybe some of you had parents that were Catholic or, and they had altars in their home or shrines in their home, right? So what is an altar? What's the purpose of an altar? Sacrifice. What else? Consecration. What else? Many times altars were built as a legacy for remembrance for the generations, but what I want to say to you is what kind of altar would you build now in your house? The Lord doesn't command, give a, give a commandment to put up a specific looking altar in your home. Why? Because my heart is an altar. Because now you've become a temple. Your body is a temple. So if your body is a temple, where's the altar? Are you guys seeing this? So I'm in constant sacrifice internally. See, that's why you can't, that's why worship and praise hit different. Because if you're not praising the way I think you should, I could say you're not worshiping. Some of you will be sitting in the presence of God and just sitting there soaking it in, and you're worshiping God in your heart. And then somebody else could say, well, you're not really because you're not dancing, lifting your hands. It doesn't work that way. It starts first in the heart with worship and communion. The true worshipers worship in spirit and truth, and it manifests externally in shouting, praising, dancing, lifting your hands, fighting by throwing your hands. You guys catch me on this. Okay. Let's jump back to verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. We have to learn to fight differently. Verse 4. Weapons pull down strongholds, especially the weapon of worship. Lies of the enemy and arguments. Anything keeping you from knowing God properly. Taking your thought life captive. I believe worship is the ultimate answer to mental illness. You guys remember when Joshua was by Jericho, if you've read the story, when he shows up close to Jericho, he encounters the commander of the Lord's army. You ever read this story? The angel. It was an angel of the Lord who was the commander of the Lord's army. Now, most scholars and myself believe that it was a preeminent Christ. Okay? What did Joshua do when he encountered the commander of the Lord's army? Let's look at the story in case you don't know it. It's Joshua 5, 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite with him, with a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and asked him this question. Said to him, are you for us or against? Are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14, the angel, which I believe is Christ, says a simple no. 
doesn't work like that. It's not about that. You're so focused on the outcome, focus on me. You're so focused on who God's for and what God's going He's like, why don't you worship and trust me and let's also get anything that's dividing you from the fullness of the holiness of God, which is a picture of take your shoes off. Taking your shoes off is taking any separation between you and God out. So the Lord or the angel said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I now have come. And what did Joshua do? Down to the ground. He hits the ground and he worships God. He, and the angel, this is why I believe it was, it was Christ, because the angel didn't say, don't worship me. Now you would think that that would be enough, right? Man, I'm worshiping. And then he says, Lord, what do you want to say? Now, I want to I challenge us because this is a common thing that happens in our worship. Lord, what do you want to say? And the Lord's response most of the time is, let's get the fig leaf off, let's get your shoes off, and let's get you fully implanted on holy ground. Let's change the earth of your heart and you'll never be the same. You know, your heart is soil, right? So when the presence of God shows up, he makes anything and everything holy in his midst. So look at the next thing that the angel says. The angel says, the ground you're standing on, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm gonna say. The place where you're standing is holy. Get your shoes off. When's the last time y'all took your shoes off in church? Well, it's been a long time for me, and my wife is not a feet person at all. She can't stand feet. And I remember I used to think to myself, when I would lay down at the altar or at the carpet like, whose stinky feet has been where my face is at? Am I the only one that's thought that? Who has snotted here, cried here? What kid has thrown up here? But you know what? This humility thing of trusting God no matter what. Now I know some of you are saying, well, I'm never laying down at the altar now that I told you that. Listen, who cares? We steam clean and clean these carpets regularly, just so that you know, for that purpose. So you can come suck some carpet in church. You know, I used to say, what made a really great church service? If I laughed, I cried, I danced, and I sucked carpet all in one service, it was a great church service. So take your shoes off. But the take your shoes off is this mindset that it's complete humility. You know, the Muslims don't even go into the mosque without first taking their shoes off. Did you know that? Well, now you know. And you should never go. <laughs> you don't need to find out. Take my word for it. You know, think about the walls of Jericho. I love this story. I'll summarize it for you. I'm going to summarize a few stories. We're going to worship here in a minute. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to put into practice what I'm teaching you today. We're in the context of, of worship as warfare, the walls of Jericho. Now, for six days, the Israelites were commanded to march around the walls of Jericho one time each day quietly. Why? Why would God have the Israelites march around the walls of Jericho? So the walls of Jericho, they were a moon, they were a lunatic society. They just jammed Dark Side of the Moon and Pink Floyd nonstop. No, they didn't have that then. But they were lunatics. 
That means lunar worship, by the way, a lunatic. You're hypnotized by the moon. All right? That's why I said, think everybody gets crazy at full moons. They become lunatics. I used to love to go do drugs and trip acid at a full moon. Bury crystals in the ocean. Go get my telescope and go out to the Everglades and twirl glow sticks. I was a lunatic. <laughs> you guys catching me? So they show up into the promised land. And you say, man, yeah, here we are, promised land. Up, oh, wait a minute. There's a fortified city that shut up because they'd already heard about the Israelites. Nobody could come or go. So God says, this city's got to go because you can't step into the promised land and be a lunatic. So it's going to require something of you. We're going to worship first, and then we're going to praise. Six days, I want you to march around that wall. Let's say that this platform's Jericho. Six days, and I'm walking around. And each time I walk around, I'm looking at my situation. I'm looking at God, and I'm contemplating. I'm getting fear out of my life of what's about to come. I'm dealing with, it's a, it's a posture of worship and, and peace. That's why worship often is more soothing, calming, contemplative. Whereas praise is like, woo, God, you're so good. Yeah, you're all, woo, yeah, shout to the Lord. Or expressions. It's got all these expressions tied to it. But worship's a heart posture. So six days, you're going to march around that thing. And on the seventh day, seven priests, seven trumpets, seven times, shouting and blowing the, the trumpets. And what happens? So walls come down. So, I mean, this is worship is warfare, but praise can be thrown in there too. Praise and worship is spiritual warfare against the situations and the walls of Jericho and all the lunacy in your life. All your addictions, all your struggles, all the stuff, all the porn, all the hookups, all the booty calls, all the callings of the clubs, whatever it is, whatever your stuff is. You want to get crazy out of your life? Worship. Praise God. See, praise is celebrating what he's done. So when Jehoshaphat put the, the praisers in the front and the singers in the front, they were making a declaration. God, you're so good. You're so... Every song is a declaration and bombarding the heavens. So God would shift the situation, but worship shifts me right here. So praise can change a nation. Praise can change your situation, but worship changes you on the inside. It makes you an altar. Gideon. This is an incredible story. I'm going to tell you a little part of this story. Do you know that even after God rooted, rooted him down from 32,000 to 300, it says that Gideon was still in fear? Did you know that? Here's how you know, because God says to Gideon, hey, I want you to go down to the camp because I got a word for you from the enemy's camp. And I've already given it to you, by the way. He said that to him in the very beginning. You're a man of valor. I've handed the Midianites in your hand. Gideon must have missed that. But he's still in fear. So God says, if you're in fear, take Purim with you, your, your right-hand man, your servant, and I want you to take him down there. So he takes him. Why? Because he was afraid. The, the enemy's camp was like massive, 
they were outnumbered hundreds and hundreds to one. There was only 300. And so I want to show you this quick little story right here because you may have not have ever seen this. Gideon goes to the enemy's camp with his servant. They kind of climb over the rocks and they listen and they hear about a dream that's about him from the enemy. In the dream, so he hears a soldier say, I had a dream last night. And in the dream, a barley loaf rolled down the mountainside and flipped over the tents of the Midianites. The other guy with him says, well, this, this is Gideon and, and the sword of Gideon. And, and I can imagine Gideon going, sword? I don't even have a sword. Google it. Did Gideon have a sword? There's no scripture that shows you Gideon had a sword. But you know what he did have? A trumpet and a water pot and a flaming torch. But watch this in, in Judges chapter 7, verse 15. I want you to see this because you might not have seen this before. When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, what did he do? He worshiped. And when he worshiped, he arose to the camp and said, you guys, let's get up. We've been, it's been given into our hand. And so how did the battle get won? You all should know this story. Water pots, trumpets, crashing water pots, praise, celebration, hilal, dancing, shouting, flames of torches. But where did it all start? Worship. Where did the fear get dealt with? Worship. Come on, are you guys catching me today? I'll give you two last quick examples and then I'll close and we're going to worship. How many of you know the story of the demoniac? He was possessed by a legion, which is like hundreds of demons in one package. You guys know the story? When Jesus showed up on the banks of the Sea of Galilee and the demoniac first encountered Jesus, do you all know what he did? Well, you could guess in the context of this message. Mark chapter five, verse six. Mark five, six. It says that when the demoniac saw Jesus from afar, what did he do? Now he's fully possessed to the max. You know what came right after he worshiped? Deliverance. I don't care how possessed you are today. I don't care how crazy in the head you are. I don't care how jacked up you are. I don't care how high or drunk. I don't care what you did last night. You know what I care about? Is that when you step into this house, you worship. Because I know what worship will do for you. I want you healed. I want to get the lies and the demonic activity and high things, exalting itself, every argument. I'm not arguing with God anymore. I don't argue with God. There's things I don't understand. And I ask God a lot of questions, but I don't question him. Arguments come down when you worship God. Deliverance comes. If the demoniac could get delivered, you can. And then the best, probably the very best biblical story that I could deliver to you today in the context of worship as warfare is David and Saul. Now, if you don't know this story, you got to know it. I'm going to summarize it for you. You have a young worshiping shepherd boy named David who was basically the least of the least in his family with his brothers. 
He was relegated to taking care of the sheep in the field full time. Not at the parties, not doing what his brothers did. All he was was a shepherd boy relegated to the field. What did he do when he was in the field? He played the harp. He worshiped God. He killed some lions and bears that were trying to take the sheep. And he trusted God when he was alone in the private. See, God sees where no one else sees. That's the thing about worship. And what's really fascinating about this story, I'm going to show you this that maybe you never thought about, is let's take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14 through 18. I'm point out some neat things here. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. When the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, he, he basically was distressed or demonically possessed. And you say, well, how would the Lord send a demon? Well, first off, anytime the hand of protection of God comes off you, the enemy comes in. You're anointed for a purpose. Don't get out of it. Don't get away from God because that opens the door and access to the enemy. All right? And I'm going to tell you, anything that's distressing you is of the enemy's camp. Because God, there's no distress in the fruit of the Spirit. So anytime I'm stressed or distressed or worried or afraid, I have to go back to the Lord and say, God, I know this isn't of you. Where, where is this coming from and why is this here in my life? So basically, he was troubled. Look at verse 15. And Saul's servant said to him, surely, I'm paraphrasing, you got a demon and you are possessed and you are troubled. Verse 16. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand. And when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, what will happen? You'll be made well. So you can see that when worship comes into the demonic atmosphere, you know, when I was casting a demon out of that first stripper girl, I've told the story here many times. This demon was manifesting in this stripper girl and eyes rolled. It was right out of the exorcist. She's like practically levitating and shirt was pulled up and, and foam out of her mouth. I felt so much power that I started to say things from my own flesh and it was only making the demon more angry. And I heard the Lord say, stop doing what you're doing and stand up and worship me. So I stood up and I lifted my hands to the Lord. I felt like I stuck my hand in light sockets. And when the presence of God came, that demon had to come out and shortly came out right after that. Because music and worship from a worshiper who has an altar of worship in their heart. It's one thing if all these musicians and singers up here are just playing for attention or uh, entertainment or for the fun of it, but they're not. It's not a person on this stage right now or this altar. So this is an altar where sacrifices of worship and praise are being made. And you guys come up here. It's their hearts that matter and what's coming out of their instrument first from their heart. You understand that? And the distressing spirits have to leave. Look at verse 17. Now here's what's fascinating to me. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18. Now, my question is, how did the, the right-hand guy or servant of the king know or see the shepherd boy doing this? Have you ever thought about that? You get no story of this. Why would the king's servants have seen little young David at 16 years old in a field playing a harp, worshiping, and look how the servant identifies David. He identifies him 
as skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and handsome. How? Because here's what I want to tell you. When you make God famous in your heart, God will make you famous in the enemy's camp and he'll make you famous in this world in his way. But if you seek fame first and notoriety first and recognition first, this is why you worship in the private and in the public. But it starts in the private. It starts in your heart. And so he says, I've seen this man and then we'll just jump to verse 23. So when the distressing spirit came upon Saul, Whenever that would happen, David would take the harp and play it with his hand. Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Isn't that powerful? So worship's driving back the enemy in other people's lives. That's why I can't tell you how many people come to this church, and they say to me, every time I come to Rock City and in worship, I feel so safe, I feel the presence of God. But then they'll tell me, but when I leave, I feel like it's gone. This is why there's people that all they do is they go to conferences and church services because they actually have no peace in their personal life. Yes, the presence of God is here, but imagine if you can walk in it full time out those doors and at home and at night. When you go to bed and when you wake up, woo! Sometimes your worship stirs up the enemy's camp. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 10 through 12, basically says that it happened again that the spirit came on Saul and he was crazy in the head. It says prophesying, but it, it really means that he was pretty wild and, and, and erratic. It says, David played music with his hand as other times, but this time it was different. This time Saul wasn't getting delivered. In fact, it was a setup because Saul was gonna try to kill him. And here's what I know. If you'll make your life an altar of worship, the enemy isn't going to be happy, but so what? You know how many times people say, well, I started coming to church and my life got worse. <laughs> you know how many people come to this church and they sit out in the parking lot or the enemy works on hard to keep people away from spiritual atmospheres where lives can be changed? There's, there's a lot of swirly stuff going on in this atmosphere, and I love it. I wouldn't change it for anything. Witches have come, Wiccans have come. Who cares? My eyes are on the Lord. Let's love better. Let's worship. Because the darkness cannot stand in the presence of God. Darkness cannot stand in the presence of God. We got to get the idols out of our home. We got to get the idols out of our heart. We need to be full-time worshipers. You don't have to be a skilled musician like David was. All you got to do is shaka, shaka. All you got to do is say, Lord, make my life a sacrifice of worship to you. And I don't want you to fake it, but what I do want you to do is I want you to try some things you've never done. Try kneeling. You know, some of you were raised in Catholic church and they, or certain other churches and they had a little kneel thing. Well, I don't even know what you call that, but Huh? A kneeler. So you kneel down, and then they would lead you through. It's called liturgy. And they would, you do call and response. They'd tell you what to say. There's a whole protocol, and you kneel down. I'm not doing that. What I'm telling you to do is to do it from your heart as God leads you. And if he says kneel, kneel at your seat or come up here. If he says lay out, if he says lift your hands, whatever it takes, bow your head, whatever it looks like. But you're doing it not 
just out of obligation. You're doing it because you realize the goodness of God and the preeminence of God over our lives. Amen? Let's all stand. So we're going to have a moment of worship. And I'm going to lead you all through a time of prayer. But what I'd like to do is I'd, I'd like to ask anyone who wants to worship up front to come up. Just come on up and, and let's come to the altar of the Lord today. You can all come. You can all come. I don't care if we're like crowded in like sardines up here. Come on up. Let's worship together. You, you can kneel down around this podium that I preach from. You can kneel at the front. You can lay down. I don't care what you do. But I want you to worship. Don't just rush out of here because this is a house of worship, all right? So whatever you do, I don't care what you do. I don't care what it looks like. I'm not watching you. But I want you to take this moment, whether you're watching from home right now, wherever you're at, I want you to worship. Let's make our heart an altar before the Lord. Present yourselves a living sacrifice on the altar of God this morning. You're welcome to come kneel down around here, but the band's going to lead us in a time of worship, and then I'm going to close this out with prayer here in just a few minutes. All right, let's bring the lights down just a little bit, Andre. It's perfect. sacrifice let me dedicate my life to worship let this be a sacrifice let me dedicate my life to worship I'm a lover of your presence I'm a lover Lover of your presence, I'm a lover of your presence, I'm a lover of your presence. Passion stirring deep inside, you're all that really satisfies. We worship. We worship you. I'm a lover of your presence. 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 I'm a lover of your
just to love you if only to love you just to love you if only to love you it's just to love you if only to love you it's just to love you song to the Lord. Get in the spirit before you leave today. Sing a new song. Sing in the spirit today. From the altar of your hearts. doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or says. It's all about you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Here we are, God, living sacrifices. Make our lives altars of worship. I love you. Come on, express your love to him. Don't be silent this morning. Lord, you're amazing. Holy. You're worthy. No one like you. My best friend. My best friend, Lord. You're the king. Come on, sing in the spirit. Come on, even hum. Just let a sound come from your heart to heaven. Present ourselves, Lord. We present ourselves, God. Present and present myself, Lord. Consume my life, God. Consume our lives. Living sacrifices. Send your fire, God. Send the fire from heaven. Consume us. Your love, your power your nature, your glory. Lord, send your glory. Change us into another person, Lord. The new man, the new woman new creation. Make us more like you, God. Help us to see you for who you really are. Cast down the arguments, God, the lies, the fears. I worship you in the midst of it, God. In the midst of fear, we worship. In the midst of uncertainty, we worship. In the midst of doubt, we worship. In the midst of 
a great battle I worship in the midst of the fight for our health we worship come on beloved worship today he loves you he cares for you cast your care on his feet today give him your life give him your children give him your spouse give him your desires delight in you Lord what anyone thinks or says. I only care what you think or say, God. Have your way. Come on and have your way, God. Whatever you want to do, come to tell him today. Whatever you want to do, God. Whatever it looks like. good and his mercy endures forever he's a merciful God sticks closer than a brother there is one that sticks closer than a brother there's only one thing that I desire and that I will seek I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life that I may behold and gaze upon your beauty. Let us behold you, God. Let us gaze upon the wondrous beauty of who you are. One thing. One thing. One thing. Make my heart perfect towards you, Lord. Perfect hearts. yourself in power today I trust you God I trust you tell him I trust you Lord I trust you with my future I trust you with my life I trust you with everything that you've given me Lord and I cast my crown back at your feet come on cast your crowns at his feet today what's your crown give it back to him your accomplishments, your achievements, whatever it is, Lord, we give it all to you, Lord. You've been so good. You're so good, God. Thank you that you fight on our behalf. That even in the wrestle, we still stand the sword of the spirit in our mouth and our heart God to declare your word back to you we kiss you kiss us with the kisses of your mouth Lord Thank you, God. We worship you first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all things will be added to you. We seek you first, Lord. Before lunch, before food, before agendas, before work, 
We put you first, God. Have your way. Hand us new weapons, Lord. They're mighty in you, God. Thank you for weapons of worship. What do you want from us, Lord? We'll take our shoes off. Anything, God, is keeping us from more of you. We don't want it. Sold out lovers, lovesick worshipers. That's rocks in the church. Abandoned. Lives wasted upon you is never a wasted life. I love you so much, Lord. And I thank you. Save us, O oh God, and we will be saved. Heal us, and we will be healed. Draw the line and the sand and the spirit. Every demonic agenda against our, our homes, our lives, our families, our children, our community. We will fight, and we will fight right. On our knees, bowed hearts, bowed heads. Make us a remnant, a remnant bride, a remnant body, remnant men, remnant women, remnant children, remnant sons, remnant daughters, Give us, oh God, the things we've lusted after and given our attention to that's kept us from more of you. Show us, Lord. Lead us, guide us. Have your way. Break us open, God. Break us open. We break ourselves open at your feet. We give you our alabaster jar. And the spike nard oil. Save our children, Lord. Save our kids, God. Light Flower Bluff School District on fire. Your power and your presence. Bring in teachers that teach truth and life. CCISD. Cal Allen. Tolosa Midway. Port Aransas. Word, Lord, light, just light them up. Do a new thing in this generation. You pray your prayer to the Lord today.
spirit and truth worship. This is spirit and truth worship from the heart. Worship that hits differently, fights differently. <laughs> oh man, Lord, you're so good. Use broken people just like us, just like Gideon. Just like Gideon. Prepare our hearts for this conference, Lord. Lord, please, whatever you want to do, build a house for your name. I'm going to build this house, God, with you. You're going to build a house for us. Broken water pots, trumpets and fires. Rock City Church. Flame us on, Lord. Set us on fire. Make us the burning torch in the broken water pots. Put a trumpet in my trumpet in my mouth, Lord. Put a trumpet in my mouth, God. Break me open. Let your fire flame on. Flame on, son. Flame on, daughter. Flame on. Drive back the enemy's camp. A royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. You're not peasants. You're a royal priesthood. It's a new day. It's a new day. A new day has dawned for you. Stepping into what you were always created to be. Who you were created to be. Your purpose is now. Awaken us, God. Awaken our hearts. like you, Lord. There is no one. You have full dominion, God. You reign. Set your king on your holy mountain. Why do the nations rage? Plot a vain thing. Lord, the nations are raging. The nations are raging. Our nation is raging, God. The enemy has plotted destruction in our land. But I thank you that you hold them in derision. You bring confusion to the enemy's camp. Just like you did for Jehoshaphat. Just like you did for Gideon. Lord, drive back their delusion. Hold them in derision, God. 
the rod of your mouth will break their rods of bondage. You've declared the decree. Declare the decree, God. Set your king today. Your beloved son whom you're well pleased with. We're co-heirs with Christ. Sons and daughters of the living God. We're sons and daughters of the living God. Jesus. The name above all names. Just say his name, Jesus. By no other name. Come on, sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing in the Spirit. you laugh at the plans of the enemy this is warfare this is how we fight this is how we fight our battles brokenness mission trust confidence and security in our identity break the addiction out break the fear out break the lies out take the distressing spirits away God to never come back I love you Lord thank you for today thank you for this church thank you for the churches of this city the other churches that worship, preach your word. The pastors that have pure hearts and pure motives. Lord. The ones that don't change them. Give them a dream, an encounter, a vision. Let the tide rise in Corpus Christi, Nueces County, Texas, and our nation. We humble ourselves. We repent. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, Lord. For idolatry, forgive us for selling our children. Forgive us, God, for violating and trespassing against others for our own selfish gain. Sorry, Lord. Come on, just repent. You know what you need to repent for. Just tell him. He's not, so he already knows, he already sees. Give it to him today. Lord, I give it all to you. Self-preservation, covering my heart, any fear, doubt, worry, heart, Lord. I love to worship you, Lord. I love you. 
I love you so much. People with harps sitting with the sheep. Crying out to you. Fight off the lions and the bears trying to devour our children and family. Put a harp in our hearts, God. Put a harp in our hearts, Lord. No one's watching. Behind closed doors. Secret places in the dark times of the night. Invade our homes, God. Invade our hearts, Lord. And I turn to you and not the things of this world to find comfort and pleasure. say the same, Lord. I don't want to say the same. Don't leave us the same, God. Please. Don't leave us the same. Save us. Rescue us. Transform us. Mature us. Those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. We wait upon you, God. Mount us up. Mount me up, God. Mount this church up. Mount up your bride, God. On wings as eagles. Time to mount up, beloved. Mount up. run not grow weary and when we are weary tired and heavy laden we run to you Jesus for you give us rest us peace for our soul your yoke is easy and your burdens light you're lowly thank you that you're lowly walk and not faint and tired Lord renew our strength come on ask him Lord ask him say Lord renew my strength today to carry on Saturate us. Saturate us, God. Saturate me.
We're going to stay in this atmosphere a little bit longer. Y'all are free to go or stay. If you're going to stay, I ask you to keep worshiping. I love y'all so much. So thankful for this house. I'm so thankful for all of you. Don't ever stop doing this, ever.